0: Ergonomics is the center of every good workplace. Explore how that means more than just your keyboard as experts examine health, safety, and deficiencies on the job. You're listening to Work Factors on Texas A&M Health Talk. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, this is episode four uh, of. I'm, I'm going four, right? I, I feel like it's four. We're going with four. Commit. Yeah, it's four, episode four of uh, Work Factors. Uh, just a little side note, I kind of feel like Tech Act Radio there. You know, when they start off, they always say it's episode 2,165. We're episode four, four, four. but hey, we'll get to 2,165 eventually. So um, I'm your host, Adam Pickens, as with, with as always, my co-host, Martha Parker. Howdy. Uh so today we are very happy to have with us uh, Dr. Stephanie Payne. So Dr. Payne, if you would, uh, give us a brief introduction, uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, we're here to talk about, uh, um, uh, uh, good gracious.
1: Industrial and organizational and th- psychology? No,
0: that's where she's from. we safety from. climate. We're, we're here to s- talk about safety climate. So Dr. Payne, you can kind of see the way the podcast goes a little <laughs> bit. Uh, So you are your own advocate in this whole deal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Got it. All right. Very good. Well, thanks for having me. Um, So I am a professor here at Texas A&M in the psychology department. Um, My area of expertise is or discipline within psychology is called industrial organizational psychology, which is a mouthful. Um, It's kind of the blending of business and psychology. And uh, I would, I have a program of research on workplace safety, um, the has been pretty active since about 2004 or so. So the last 11 years, give or take. And um, I've been fortunate to be able to partner with a lot of oil and gas companies, um, given that we're so close to Houston, um, and explore this underlying kind of concept of safety climate, safety culture, which is uh, as often how it's referred to in in practice.
0: So you've been at A&M for 11 years?
2: I've actually been at a since 2000, so oh, wow. about 20. Oh my
0: gosh, I didn't <laughs> realize you'd been here that long. Wow! Wow!
1: Mm-mm. We all feel super young. I know. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs>
0: it was funny the other day. I was talking to somebody and I mentioned that I've been here since 2008, so I'm I'm going on 11 years now, and that makes, 11 years that makes 12. It's what? 2020, buddy. Oh, yeah. Not much my mouth yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so I've I been like, here. i have going on yeah. 12 years now.
1: Uh-huh it's the blink of an eye mm-hmm. like
0: I, you don't even think about it
1: no that's because hmm. we have the best jobs ever
0: that's right every day is fun
1: so i will have to <laughs> i will have to tell you stephanie every time i i abbreviate industrial organizational psychology it's i slash o right right and i always think of input output of and then course. i go whoa whoa that's oh, not it oh that's yes
0: it? oh my gosh yeah. i've thought that in the past every yeah. single time yeah.
1: and input i go I, oh output psychologist yeah
0: input output <laughs> second yeah i have what to catch myself on that one <laughs> So, I, Stephanie, I'm glad we've got you on because we were looking forward to this. Martha and I have been talking about this for a while because safety, climate, culture is such a a big topic right now. You know, it's 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 been for a while, but I think um, we were talking about it the other day, and it it kind of is is similar to uh n- not in practice but similar in a safety perspective way from the layperson's idea of what uh behavior-based safety was a, a few years ago it's a term that a lot of people have heard of but maybe not have a good grasp of
1: and they and they throw it around of course oh. they throw it around yeah. and, and they're like oh that's safety culture and mm-hmm. yeah. like, what, mm-hmm. yep what yep. are you talking about exactly yeah, yeah. i know Um, But it turns out that,
2: actually, in my discipline, we have been studying organizational culture for over 50 years, Um, and um, we have scientifically defined this construct. We've come up with a way of measuring it, and we put a little more boundaries around it rather than just kind of throwing the kitchen sink at anything human-related. So. Um, so there is a science to this and, um, and, and I'm excited that I've had the opportunity to contribute to it. I think we've helped to move that, um, discipline further further uh, forward and, and while there is a, a, a component of it that is, is, is about what, what, what are humans doing in the workplace to a certain extent, um, it's, it's not quite as broad as people to have a temptation to kind of make it. Right. You
0: know? So with that mm. being said, this, this. I think I think you said it really well. It's not quite as broad as everybody thinks it is. So, in practice, give us a, a few sentence mm-hmm. structural definition of safety culture, safety climate.
2: Yeah. So, well, let me. And are they different? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know oh, yeah. that's. Yeah. Exactly. That was a that was
0: a bullet point for later. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's,
2: that's all right. Jumping the gun but on we that. We might one. as well go ahead and address <laughs> that because. There are days, honestly, that I'm like, oh, let's just use the terms interchangeably. It doesn't matter. But honestly, I have to be true to my discipline. And Mm -hmm. in psychology, we do make this distinction. Um, And I have come to appreciate, honestly, in in my collaborations with companies and so forth, that that while it's kind of this psychobabble distinction, it actually has some application and real-world distinction as well. So we'll start with safety culture. We tend to think of culture as more about... Uh, beliefs and assumptions and underlying values and they tend to be kind of deeper, right? Um, and so if you have a safety culture that's oriented um, on uh, in a good way, it means that you have strong beliefs about the importance of safety safety you really value safety and you're doing everything you can to to um, perpetuate that right in the workplace. Um, and psychologists think, that, that exists, but it's much deeper. It's much harder to kind of measure and it's harder to change and so forth. What um, And so because of that being so kind of deep rooted, I think in part, we've also talked about safety climate, um, which is analogous to an organizational climate. So we talk about organizational culture and organizational climate. Likewise, we can talk about safety culture and safety climate. And so safety climate, we think, is a little bit more at the surface level. Really, it's about every organization has rules when it comes to being safe, right? So they have policies, practices, procedures. And so um, how employees perceive those procedures and how much those things are enforced, that's what safety climate is, right? Um, And so there's a lot of layman kind of descriptions of or definitions of safety climate as is things like, you know, what, how do we do things around here? And I think that does really capture it, but that's also pretty broad, right? W- what do you mean by how do we do things around here? Well, let's, talk, let's dig a little further, right? I'm supposed to wear my hard hat or my steel toe boots in this environment. To what extent do people tolerate if I don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. That's where I think a safety climate really is kind of um, where the rubber hits the road, right? That's where we can kind of really point to it and say, this is what we mean by that. You're supposed to do this, but here's what really happens, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so one, another definition kind of you know, how things, how we do things around here, but even more so when nobody's looking, right? right? Um, and that really kind of starts to get it more, a little bit more of the deep rooted aspect of culture and climate. And and it gets at the idea that, um, you know, I, uh, to what extent do I know what I'm supposed to do and how much can I get away with deviating from that? And it's not to say that people are, are are consciously making an effort to deviate per se as much as just every organization has rules and how much those are you know hard and fast and enforced is what characterizes this whole notion of kind of climate across Mm -hmm. organizations
0: you know it's interesting uh i think a lot of times for for me who is not a climate or culture person I read the research, but a lot of the times what I see is the research kind of lines up with uh, what I, in, as more of a safety professional, do in leading indicators. Okay. You know, you you measure a lot of different things, and I think to your point, there's a lot of things of this is how we do it, but there's a difference between this is how we say we do it and this is how we actually do it, yep. Yep. you know, and how willing... Are organizations to to allow deviation from the book, so to speak? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I uh, I've talked to a lot of different people in a lot of different fields, and certain fields are more are more capable of of allowing that deviation. Sure,
1: exactly. Uh, and both them from the positive and the negative side, right? right? So there's there's negative deviation, which is like I'm really breaking the rules because I know I'm breaking the rules, and then there's positive deviation, which is like this rule is dumb and it's Mm-mm. I need to do the right thing yeah the rule
0: the rule is and we talked about this with dr. Paris whenever we had Camille on mm-hmm. nice. you know how how much does the procedure or the rule or whatever it is how much does that facilitate actually getting the job done well and getting it done safely versus how much of it is just getting in my way right you know, and, and I think a lot of that plays into the, the culture and climate of an organization.
2: It does. It does. I mean, it, yeah, it kind of gets into the issue of like rules. Why do we have rules and, you know, and, and reasons for people for deviating and things like that. But it, it, when we're talking about climate, it is also about this. Uh, and this is where that um, I think you can make the distinction actually be meaningful in day-to-day practice of the distinction of culture versus climate. So we have these rules on written on paper, right? And so, to a certain extent, they're starting. We're starting to kind of talk about the culture because this is what we said we ha- we we want to ha- happen. But then, to what extent does it actually happen? So it's the walking the talk kind of idea, right? right is getting it, is where we get it into the climate, and you know, I think um, I'm hesitant to get into too much about kind of like dumb rules per se <laughs>
1: but they very do exist. very technical
2: right we study that all
1: the time do no. you yeah
2: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. okay <laughs> um but um you know i think that for the most part or, you know organizations put rules in place because they think it's the right thing to do right mm-hmm. they think that this the and and sometimes there's you know a lot of scientific evidence to support that this is the safest way to do this right. particular you know task and so forth so you know i, I um it's it, I don't I, I, I don't want to bash rules in general I think they' they're there and they have their, their purpose um, but the um, when we're trying to understand kind of all the things that contribute to people's behavior in, in the workplace um, this notion of kind of a climate and the idea of how much we enforce the rules and so forth it turns out it has a really big impact mm-hmm. on how people behave so. Yeah. And there's lots of empirical evidence, so data collected across multiple organizations and lots of different environments and so forth that really supports that safety climate predicts injuries in the workplace, um, whether people are following the rules, um, how safe they feel and so forth. So, and one one point I wanna make real quick is just that, um, that in practice, people tend to use the phrase safety culture. So at least in terms of in the oil and gas industry in particular, and also even in the health industry, if that dabbled a little bit with the medical industry and so forth, that there's a temptation to kind of use that phrase, it kind of just sticks. Um, and so that's when I don't worry so much about making these distinctions, because that's just, you'll you'll certainly see even in the research literature, a lot of people have used that phrase, but it turns out that probably whenever they've attempted to measure it, it's they're probably kind of getting more at that surface level.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so you've mentioned measurement a couple of times. Uh, I, I, Mm -hmm. I always rely back on my framework of knowledge as we all do. And so a lot of times in, in leading. That is a very
1: fancy way to say, you know what you know.
0: Yeah. You know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. Framework of knowledge. Yeah. You're very fancy. I (laughs) am an academic and I can't stop myself sometimes. (laughs) It's <laughs> great. Uh, I am I am Adam Pickens from DeKalb, Texas, but I'm also Adam Pickens academic, and so it just kind of seeps in. So you have a framework of knowledge. Yeah. So, just as I as I think about some of the things that that I've done and and both in academia and, and in the real world, the measurement is the key. You know, if you're if you're mm-hmm. not measuring what you want to measure, you might as well not even measure it. Exactly. So, how do what are some successful things that you can go and do in either survey development or feedback loops or whatever for measurement of, of, uh, re- I guess, really climate, you know, sure.
2: right. Exactly. That's, that's the phrase I would use. So we rely extensively on surveys and I know that there's a fair amount of survey fatigue out there and anybody can put mm-hmm. together a survey. So, um, you know, i I, I'm, I recognize the limitations and the challenges with any, with any given survey, but if you keep in mind that ultimately, Climate is about employees' perceptions and about, you know, what they see and how, you know, to what extent, if I don't wear my steel-to-boots, what happens, right? Then you really kind of have to get their perceptions. And how do you get their perceptions? you got to talk to people. You either, and then surveys just allow for us to get a lot of data from a lot of employees at once, mm. right? You can sit down and do interviews. You can do focus groups. Um but I think that uh, historically, and there's at least in my re- in the research literature, we tend to rely extensively on surveys. And there is definitely a science to doing a good survey, right? And so um, while anybody can do one, I think that you know writing the right the right items and, and 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 checking on your psychometric properties, which is the 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 psychobabble for things like you know reliability and validity and accuracy consistency, so forth. Um, so there's a lot of of work there that can facilitate making sure you're, that the survey is uh, implemented properly and gets good data for you. Right. Um, but it's contingent on people filling it out in the first place. Right. So there's the, one of the biggest, you know, challenges sometimes with survey research is it comes across your desk or somebody hands it to you and you may or may not fill it out. How seriously do you take it? Right. And so your data are only as good as the data that are presented in that survey.
1: So can that also be a a measure of the Mm -hmm. safety climate? Well, that's like fascinating. The, the yeah. acceptance rate of taking one. Yeah, I right? think that I think that says something for sure. I I
2: have to acknowledge that the companies that allow me to come in and do a survey in the first place suggest that they probably are they're not as, they're not as scared of the results per mm-hmm. se. They're <laughs> um, they're eager to get that information. And uh, there have been times that companies have turned me away, or their legal department has said, mm, "No thanks, we really don't want to have that mm-hmm. information," and that probably tells you something right there,
1: yeah. right? Yeah. 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 And we've had, we've worked with some clients who have um, tried to reward their employees for taking a survey. Sure. Does, does that, do you think impacts the results of those surveys of safety climate in a positive or negative way? Or do you know yet? Sure, or? sure.
2: Well, there's a ton of research out there on getting people to fill out surveys in general, whether it's about safety or something else. And all of, and I can say that the majority of that research is going uh, supports incentivizing, right? Okay. So, In general, people are more likely to fill out the survey if an incentive is offered. Um, It is a little bit different in an organizational setting where you're asking your employees to fill out a survey. On the one hand, I tend to assume that they are able to do that during their work time, so we're not necessarily asking them to go above and beyond and, you know, do this on your afternoon off. Um, But that said, um, there's also a uh, the broader context of the con- of concerns about whether this data um, who's going to get this data mm-hmm. is it going to identify um, or get anybody in trouble <laughs> you know some of that kind of stuff so um, so sometimes people are apprehensive about being even honest um, when mm-hmm. filling out the survey the incentivizing thing I think um, we know it increases response rates um, it may or may not necessarily lead to uh, increases in quality, a right? A truer <laughs> survey. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you can get people to respond, um, but whether or not that data is a good quality data is debatable about their level of trust and, you know, a comfort level with with the reporting, um, whether the survey is anonymous, you know, starts to get into more of the
1: details about kind of the administration of the survey. So. Can you give us some examples of questions that would be on a safety climate survey, survey at a, yeah. at a just general mm. organization? Yeah.
2: One of the core components of safety climate is about management commitment to safety. Mm-hmm. So sometimes questions will be literally that. So to, uh, you know, usually it's on agreement scale. So my manager, or my supervisor is committed to safety or um, people who um, need training is another component. Um, are, are given the training that they need to do their job safely. So often, questions oriented around that. A lot of times, it's about the supervisor because mm-hmm. I think the supervisor is the one who's enforcing the rules. And um, and it's oftentimes about what's happening within a given work group because the supervisor mm-hmm. can set the tone. Right. You can have a situation where you have one work group where the supervisor is. Pretty hard nosed about the rules, and then another one that kind of looks the other way, and so you can kind of start to see even differences in climate within one organization, but across work groups.
1: Mm-hmm. That's uh, well. No, go ahead. Well, and that's been my experience too. Is that that first line supervisor has a lot more influence than all of us want to believe. It's true, right? Yeah. We we want to work with the employees. We want to train the employees. We want to we want to make sure that they do things quote right and safe. Mm-hmm. but we we forget that very next line yeah. um and it's and i've been involved in organizations where you can totally tell like and the supervisors from a either they they become a supervisor because they have prowess from a technical aspect mm-hmm. like they're the best you know button pusher and so because they're the best button pusher they're going to be the supervisor of all the button pushers well we don't necessarily give them any training on how to be a supervisor right that's they're a, a great a button job. pusher but but that's the really weak link in a lot of organizations mm-hmm. and it's and it's interesting when you see those differences even within a small group between supervisors uh-huh. one that has that relishes the role and is a great Manager of people and supervisor of people versus just a good technical button pusher. Yeah. Um. And I'm I'm I bet that would be amazing to see in the results of those climate surveys.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's 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 very much a, a big part of it. And I think you're right. I mean, I think that this is a fundamental issue that we have in organizations of promoting people that mm-hmm. are amazing at their job but yeah. may not be ready to be a supervisor.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say something very similar to that. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> I, again I've worked in organizations we we as the ergo center have worked in organizations to where there is a perception of organizational commitment but then there is a work group commitment mm-hmm. and oftentimes it's been my experience that those two things don't always line up
1: right right you know on either on the that they're negatively or positively like or, yeah, the organization yeah. is like super committed and then the supervisor's not and yeah. and vice versa right? yeah, yeah. anything can happen yeah. Right? yeah exactly and that's where
2: that, that possible disconnect kind of occurs and i think that's actually the most dangerous situation right when the organization's saying safety 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 and then but here's what really happens yeah you know?
0: well but you know I, I, from my time in industry I, I i often think back to something like that if the organization is really saying safety, 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 but then at the work group level, it's not, mm-hmm. that's gotta lead me to believe that the organization isn't really safety, safety, safety.
1: True. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It,
0: or that's been my experience anyway, because mm-hmm. I, 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 long story short, <laughs> I've worked in, in jobs like that where the organization says safety's number one, we're, you know, great, great, great. And then at the organization, at the workload level, the supervisors like you get the product done i don't right. care about safety mm-hmm. you know and so therefore stepping back from that now the organization really wasn't committed to safety because if they were yes they would have had supervisors in place that understood that balance between safety keeping you know good quality workers doing a good quality job and getting good product out mm-hmm. you know it, it's 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 a really interesting balance of How committed are you really? Right. Yeah.
1: And I think within the past 15 years, it's changed. You don't see a lot of organizations that now say safety first, right? Because everybody called BS on that. Yeah. Right. And so now they say, you know, production first or safely, you know, production first, but safe or whatever. And and so it rings a little bit truer, I think, to the employee when they go, oh, okay, yep, our job is to make the widgets.
0: Well done. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Make the widgets. We try to work in widgets <laughs> at every yep. podcast. Um, my job is to, to make the widgets, but I need to do it safely because my company tells me my job is to make the widgets.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. The challenge between production and safety is, is kind of keeps me up at night.
1: <laughs> I okay. Mean, that's sad. I know. Okay. Well, sorry. I, I mean, it's
2: good. I want to reconcile it, right? I <laughs> yeah. want to fix yeah. it. And, you know, and I think, um, I Do think you have any magic
1: pills for that. I wish Ugh.
2: silver bullet, you know, yeah. um, I, there's a part of me that, that's, that says you cannot be productive unless you are safe. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel mm-hmm. like you absolutely have yep. to put safety first. Um, but, then there's the part of me that also says, like, it's in the day-to-day activities. That's where the, I think where the, we kind of kind of explain this is that short-term versus long-term, right? Mm-hmm. Long-term, you absolutely have to be um, safe in order to be productive. But every once in a while in the day-to-day activities, it's tempting to kind of take that shortcut, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's that's where things kind of go, go awry a little bit.
0: Yeah, we, uh, a couple of years back, we had a, a contract with a, a company that will remain nameless that made, let's say widgets. And their short term was, we're so far behind in production mm-hmm. that we have to do whatever we have to do. We want to be committed to safety. That's why they had us there. Mm-hmm. But their production was nine months behind. Mm-hmm. And it was in an industry where you couldn't be nine months behind. Right. And they had a turnover rate that was just. Astronomical! It's the highest right. I've ever seen. I mean, I don't think they kept people more than th- three months or something. Sure. And so, you know, they they fought this balance of I want to keep my workers safe so that they can get to the level of – They can of, be here. Yeah, <laughs> producing really good widgets so that we can get it out of this hole that we're in. Yeah. But I need them to do whatever they need to do to get it done as fast as they can get it done right this second. You know, I think this – short-term versus long-term view is oftentimes really difficult based upon, you know, a lot of more factors than I can possibly imagine right now. Sure,
1: sure. One of my favorite stories as an ergonomist was, um, and I, as a consultant, I did mainly office ergonomics. And so I got this call on like two or three o'clock on Friday afternoon. And, you know, I'm a consultant, I'm working on Friday afternoon, which is amazing. Um, but at the time, I was, I was working, and they said, we need you to come do an emergency ergonomic evaluation. And I said, okay, uh, help me understand what's an emergency ergonomic evaluation. And they said, we need this. This guy's having, like, forearm pain or shoulder pain or something, and it's really bad, but he's working a double shift this weekend, and so we need to, like, fix this. And, and and I was like, okay. I said, I can't. And I really did have something else to do. And I said, I can't be there this afternoon. I can be there first thing Monday morning, but I cannot be there this afternoon. Well, can you come on Saturday? No, can't come on Saturday. And it was amazing. to. And after I talked him down off the ledge, like, if he's in that much pain, he probably shouldn't be working a double right? this yeah. weekend. Like, mashing a mouse button, if it hurts him now, mm-hmm. it's going to hurt him worse on Sunday. So don't make him do it oh, oh, well, I guess we didn't think about that. And it, and it was the, they were like trying to follow the rules because the rules said when you have an employee that is in discomfort, you call your ergonomist and they come in here and, you know, sprinkle the pixie dust and everybody gets magically better. Um, so that's what they, that's what they were doing. Right. But they hadn't stepped back to think about the individual and like, does this even make sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And And so that's where I think the, the culture that said, we really care about our people, we're going to get professionals in here to take care of them, worked. Mm-hmm. But it didn't work from a, does this even make sense perspective? Mm. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. It was fun, though. Yeah, It was fun to tell them, no, I'm sorry, there's no such thing as an ergonomic emergency.
0: <laughs> but there was to them.
1: <laughs> there was to them, 100%. Yeah. It was all their perception.
0: <laughs> so, you know, I, we, we've touched on the measurement, Uh but I I kept thinking about this coming, leading into this, you know, you've, you've talked about survey fatigue. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very real thing. And, you know, I think we all as faculty members and staff members get a lot of surveys from a lot of different organizations. And, and I like to fill out surveys because I understand response rates are really low, but even I, as somebody who likes to do (laughs) it, do the right thing, do (laughs) the right thing, I still get tired of it. Of course. You know, and, so I, how do you work the balance of surveying regularly? And, you know, one of the things we see in, in leading indicators research is you, you have to have that closed loop. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. you yep. got to see somebody doing something with the data yeah. that you collect. Absolutely. How do you how, how do you all balance that?
2: Well, that's my first recommendation to anybody about doing a survey: is like you can't collect the data and then not do anything with it, mm-hmm. right? You owe it to the, your employees to, at a minimum, um, communicate back that you've read the responses, you've aggregated the information, you've looked at it, and you're 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 considering it, right? Um, and and without that communication, that closing the loop, right? You're, you're never going to get people to respond again in the future, yeah. or take it seriously, you know, and all that stuff. So that that's that's a critical piece for sure. Um, I think that um, one of the challenges in, in the, that we don't have a good answer for from a scientific standpoint is kind of how frequently do we need to be conducting surveys? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually a question that some of my colleagues and I am embraced and were really curious about. We kind of thought about it as the shelf life of a survey, right? So if I pick oh, up a survey yeah. that occurred, you know, six months ago, is, is this still valid? Is it still, you know, in, informative to me or, or, or six years ago? How, you know, can mm-hmm. I go with that? And of course, it's a function of you know whether people have turned over, or how much has changed within the organization. Um, but scientifically, we don't have a lot of data that speaks to that. Because to mm-hmm. really answer that question, I think for me it would be the the perfect sit- scenario would be we would collect a whole bunch of survey data. Let's say we administer in an organization a survey every month or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Then we mm-hmm. could kind of work backwards to figure out how many can I take away, right? Yeah. right to see, oh, oh, look, we could have just done one one at month one and one at month 12 right yeah. or, you know mm-hmm. but we have to have the data to kind of pull it out and figure <laughs> out what you know how much has thing, did, did things change you know and kind of determining the like what's the dependent variable here right so um, how do we determine that the data is useful to us we oftentimes take the questions that uh, people responded to about safety climate and we correlate it to things like injuries that have occurred in the workplace um, and so we can look at the prediction Um, And how well are we predicting and you probably as I'm sure you guys are aware that injuries in general low base rate challenging to predict in the first Mm -hmm. place but if we have some correlation maybe in you know months one two three then um, then suddenly we lose our correlation it's no longer significant it's no longer kind of helping us see anything months four five six it kind of suggests oh now the survey data is expired right it's time to get new new survey data. Um, and that's actually what we were able to show. So we did have one really large scale survey that we did with a multi uh, an organization that had multiple sites, mm. um, and uh, they they weren't willing to let us administer multiple surveys. But what they were willing to do is give us access to their injury data and incident wow. data, right, over the course of two years. And so we did take the survey and look to see, okay, how much did the survey data to predict those injuries for us long term, um, and. Sadly, I think from a practical standpoint, we saw some decline in prediction after about three months. Mm. Um, And so it's still a bit uncertain. I'm not ready to completely hang my hat hat on this, but I think that it suggests that things have changed enough in three months that we need to kind of Mm. reassess. Um, but a really important caveat to that all of that is that a survey doesn't have to be um, really long. So uh, my temptation as a researcher to, is to throw everything into the survey, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, yes, yeah. to un-
1: increase your framework of <laughs> <and> knowledge. <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
2: <laughs> hundred plus <laughs> items. But really, honestly, safety climate can be measured with about eight items, give or take. You know, oh, that's so cool. yeah. So mm-hmm. we, you know, so now I think actually a lot of people in my field have actually started to embrace. Um, some ex- what they call experience sampling um, methodology and, and, and modeling and so forth, where they might cl- gather some data through your your um, your your phone or on oh, your you know like your according to my or watch, wearable, yeah, yeah, exactly a wearable device. And so you know you could administer five to ten items real quickly over on your phone and move mm. on, right? Um, yeah. And so kind of a quick pulse check. Yeah. Um, and depending on how large large organization is, it may be the case that not everybody has to respond. You just need a representative sample, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a thousand people, if you can get a hundred people to respond every month, you probably can get a good sense of kind of what's happening there. So
0: So mm-hmm. long story short, what I what I heard out of this was, <laughs> To know Sorry. how many <laughs> t- surveys you need to take, you need to take more surveys.
2: Unfortunately, yes. I think from a scientific <laughs> yeah. standpoint
1: to answer that question, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it's again, uh, talk mm-hmm. about a funny little yeah. loop you well, got going but, on we,
1: but what we found in <laughs> one of the recent projects with the Ergo Center was we collected, you know, 119 different uh, uh, computer measures of how, oh, mu- yeah. how many people, how much people were working on the computer, like, Hundred and nineteen measures every six seconds or something. It was ridiculous. It was a a lot of data for ten thousand people over two years or something. And it was it was ginormous. But what I think we found was like the first month and the last month were not different. Uh huh. So you could get like you could get all you needed in that first month. Yeah. Because it was the same as the last month. Yeah. Because it, as long as yeah. as
0: long as people don't know for ours anyway, as yeah. long as people didn't knew that didn't knew, wow, yeah. Didn't know it's that fine. they were being. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know that they were being watched. Like the the data yeah. collection just happened in the background.
1: Right. Yeah. Right.
0: They just worked. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, that was what we've had. And but it, but it was a lot of data. Yeah. Which is your point exactly.
1: is you got to have they a haven't. lot of data to be able to figure out what you can take away Inside. and yeah. right. have the results still be.
2: And because you valid. did that, now you can feel confident right. about yeah. saying, you know, look, yeah, we've done it. We've done it. We've looked. We know. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah that was what we found. We, mm-hmm. you know, we, I don't know, 160 different measures. Yeah, it was and a lot. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. But really, when it came down to it, I'm sure it's very similar to what you do. I We had five or six that you actually used and were valid and really good and predicted good quality things that you wanted to do. yeah. Yeah. Yeah
1: so eight questions you can measure safety climate mm-hmm. that's yeah. cool yeah, i like yeah. that sure, yeah, yeah. so if ever though, i right? see a safety climate culture survey i'm gonna be like uh uh-uh, oh there's 12 yeah. questions no no no
0: <laughs> <laughs> It eight plus or minus well stephanie i certainly appreciate your time we're we're hitting our our time mark thank you so much for spending some time with us sure. uh, i i think this is a great discussion and Martha and I go back and kind of look at these things later. We may want to have you back on again, because I, I think there's so much more that we could talk about this. Well, yeah.
1: Is there anything that we didn't talk about that yeah. is like a burning desire, yeah, like, like something d- you just like, this is what I'm working on now. And it's ooh, awesome.
2: Ooh, oh gosh. Put me on the spot. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. You can, I can always talk, say no. I can talk yeah. about this okay. stuff all day long. So, you know, <laughs> I think thinking about psychology of safety, right. Bringing psychology in and trying to understand people's behavior in the workplace. So, um, there's a number of things that we
1: could reflect on our stories. I can Well, tell you, we know so. that what you say and what you do keeps you up at night. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Right. yes. Now, now you know. Now we know.
0: It is so funny because in the back of my mind, this whole time talking about stories and whatnot, you know, I just finished listening to call sign chaos, uh-huh. which is uh, Jim Mattis's book on a, a, a streaming service that isn't our sponsor. Um, And <laughs> it was funny because he, were ta- he was talking about the difference between the marine culture and like army culture mm. and how those two, like uh, we could have a whole different podcast on this, but like if you're, if you're a company and you have subcontractors, oh, yes. matching the subcontractor culture or just dealing with the different culture of a subcontractor mm-hmm. when it varies from what your main organizational culture is. I think that would be a fascinating discussion. Um, sure. So. It's a real challenge for real yeah. organizations. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: yeah, lots yeah. and lots of contracting going on out there. Yeah.
0: We may definitely have you back on for that. And right. I say may, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <there you laughs> Which means definitely. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's that's the, the final thought for the day is look forward to podcast number two with Dr. Payne. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yes. Martha?
1: Great. It's a great. Gonna be a great day. It's
0: gonna be a great Thank day. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you everybody. We'll see you on the next episode.
1: Episode 4. Out.
0: 5. 5 next. Four, 4 is out. I'm, I'm all confused. Next. A production of the Texas A&M University Health Science Center. Visit us on the web at vitalrecord.tamhsc.edu where you'll find answers to all of your health questions. Until next time, stay healthy.